0: We're taking our Bibles and we're headed over to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon this evening. It's right before the book of Hebrews. But before we get there, I hope you have the notes in hand. I want you to do a study with me through just some Old Testament verses. What we're talking about tonight is a topic that, like we said this morning, I'm doing not necessarily expository preaching like we're used to. This this whole series makes me uncomfortable. It's more counseling than it is taking and delving through the text in depth. And yet it's important that we do it. So tonight I want to talk about an an area that all of us need to work on, all of us need it, and that's dealing with friendship. And so I'd like you to do a study with me just to get started. And just think through and think out loud, please. Don't, Don't hesitate. Taking some verses or phrases out of the book of Proverbs. Okay, what do these say to you about the aspect of friendship? Here, let's do this one. A friend loves at all times what's that no I'm just this just this part of the phrase okay yeah that's all we're just this for this segment um, a friend loves at all times what's that mean what's it go ahead okay in what regard okay somebody else was piping up somebody else contributing something uh, what do you mean Okay? Okay. Unconditional. I should say, quote, uh, say it out loud, excuse me, I forget that we have people that can't hear uh, or it's being recorded. You had said consistency is the idea of that friendship on both parts. You had said unconditional love, the friend accepts. Anything else stands out? Always got your back. They always got your back. Okay. Modern terminology, but it expressed wonderfully. Any other thoughts? I, these are my feeble thoughts, which aren't as good as a couple of you have said. Good friends are rare. The idea that they're enduring, they're reliable, they accept us, they're loyal to us. Take this phrase. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What's that mean? Okay, a friend is honest? How so? In this regard, in this regard, what, what might... Okay. Okay, could could a friend be honest enough to say something you don't want to hear initially? Okay, what were you, Ken? Okay, 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 okay. they might cause a wound, but it's a good wound then because they're correcting. Any other thoughts? Anything else? My feeble thoughts were that same type of idea. They may hurt us, but it's for our benefit. They care enough to point things out. We ought to consider and listen to constructive criticisms. That's wonderful. I don't mind doing that except for when it comes from my wife. Otherwise, you know, others, we struggle at times in all seriousness now. We struggle even when it comes and we're pointing out things. But being a good friend, we want to point those things out. Um, There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What are we thinking? God's always with us. I'm sorry, Joyce. God's always with us. Okay, if you're taking to the friendship of God, he's always with us. Anything else? Go ahead. Okay. Are you saying family isn't as good as a friend sometimes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, Dep- as dependable as family may be, you may have a rare friend who becomes e- like or even closer than family members. I think we, we would say this without hesitation. A lot of you have become that for us because of our, our situation, being here, not being close to family, as you've become that's, those siblings to us. The level of friend, this level of friendship, by the way, is rare. If you have somebody that's a close friend like that, you've got a gem. You've got something that's really important. This phrase, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. You have to be a friend to get a friend. That's good. What else? Okay, they're mutually beneficial. Excellent. What else? I'm sorry. Okay, you get as much out as you put in. Excellent thoughts. Friendships require some effort on our part. Okay, I always cringe, and I'm going to get in trouble for doing this, but when people come in and they say, well, nobody talked to me. You know, nobody in the church talked to me. I want to always respond by saying, did you talk to anybody else? Okay. Um, because to have friends, you have to be friendly yourself. It's hypocritical to expect others for, uh, and criticize them for not seeking to be friendly towards you if you haven't been friendly to others. So we can just continue on. We've, you know, we ought not wait for others to flock to us to be a friend. And then we say, okay, we ought to treat others the way we want them to be treated. So we take all these thoughts and just combine them and say, okay, good friends are rare and to be treasured. We could say strong friendships require effort on our part to foster them. Good friendships could be of great benefit to you and me. We ought not to abuse or take for granted our good friends and be loyal to your friends if you want the same in return. But also be open. So with that in mind, we jump into a New Testament text. And we're saying, okay, what book in the Bible could give us some insights into friendship? We could go to John, where Jesus is talking, John 15. We could go to examples that you have where David and Jonathan, which we preached about about two years ago. We could talk about the friendships that are between the apostles. We could talk about Paul and Barnabas, and all of it would be good. But the one text that I've already directed you to is the book of Philemon. In the book of Philemon, if you don't know the story, it's very interesting. Let me read through, and you follow. It's not that long, but it's, it's a wonderful story. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that is in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by you, brother. Wherefore, though, I might be much more bold in Christ to enjoin thee, to ask thee, "...that which is convenient or necessary. Yet for love's sake I rather beseech you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech you, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past he was to you unprofitable, (coughs) but now he is profitable to you and to me, whom I have sent again, that you therefore might receive him, that is, of my own bowels, or my own heart." "...whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without your mind approval would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but your you're willingly doing this. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that you should receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." If you count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as you would receive myself. If he has wronged thee or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to you how you owe me unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of you in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord." Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto you, knowing that you wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow servant, our prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Most of you understand the story you know the story that what it is, is Paul has been ministering. He had been uh, ministering at one time, going to and visiting in the region close to Colossae. Now he is away from that area. He's in prison. But he had a friend that he had met some time back, Philemon, who is living in Colossae. In fact, as you go through the passage, they, and, or the book of Acts, they probably met while he was in that three year stint in, a, in Ephesus, they had some type of contact, and he led Philemon to the Lord, where he talks about that idea that you owe me, in the sense that I have ministered to you. And then what happened is this wealthy man had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus runs away, he leaves Philemon, and somehow, some way, and we understand it's providential, somehow, some way, he ends up in Rome, and there he comes in communication with Paul. How? Where? I don't know. Did Onesimus get put in jail? I don't think so, because then Paul couldn't be sending him back. But Onesimus, a runaway slave, he's there. Somehow he comes in contact with Paul, maybe through somebody to say, hey, come with us, let's go visit Paul. And Paul Bible studies Onesimus, and Onesimus becomes his son in the Lord. He uh, becomes born again. So, what happens now is Paul then says, Onesimus, what I need to do is I need to send you back to your master. And so he's sending him back with this letter, and this letter is a personal note to Philemon, basically saying, Forgive your servant. But as he's un- unveiling this request, and as he's saying it, man, does he give us a lot of insights into his friendships? And so, taking his example here and taking what we see in friendship between Paul and Philemon, Paul and Onesimus, Onesimus with Philemon, as well as some others, let's, uh, let's come to a conclusion. They are going to illustrate for us what it takes to be a really good friend, a godly friend. And so let me just put it in three different categories. If you're going to be a really good friend, first of all, you have to recognize the importance of friendships, how important they are, how necessary they are. In this passage, we're going to see illustrated that we all need them. We all need them, no matter what levels we're at. In fact, if you go through the Bible, start thinking of Bible characters, the heroes of Scriptures. Do this with me for a second. What heroes of Scripture had close friends? David, who was one of his close friends? Jonathan, who else? Okay, David has his mighty man. Okay, can you think of another character that had a close friend? Companion. Moses, who was his right-hand guy? Aaron, his own brother, they got along at most of the time they got along. Can you think of somebody else? Old Testament, New Testament? Daniel. Daniel, Who's his buddies? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ron? Paul had Barnabas initially. Actually, Barnabas had Paul, yeah, and then Paul develops others. Can you think of anybody else who had real close friends? Jesus Christ. Who was his close friends? Yeah, well, you had the 12, and then it narrows down to the inner three. And so you have that aspect of these close friendships that that people had, like a Mary had Elizabeth, you know. um, It's just an amazing instance. And what struck me, I started thinking this through. (coughs) More often than not, the people who are lone rangers, the people who abandoned their friendships, that's when they got in trouble. That's when they started having real struggles. And so you start thinking of the people like the Lot's who separated from Uncle Abraham. That's when he got in trouble. You think about the Sam- the, the Samson's, who never had a buddy. And he, he even refused his own family's counsel. You think about the Rehoboam, that all of a sudden Rehoboam doesn't listen to the friends that were really looking for his own good. The ones he listens to are the ones who are looking for personal gain. Then you have Demas, who forsakes the fellowship of others. And so what we have tr- proven in Scripture is that Good friendships, and you know this, they're very important for us to accomplish what God wants with our lives. That things wouldn't be accomplished. I'm not saying this in a, in a braggadocious sense. Please don't understand. People commend and say, oh, this ministry, you know, Faith Baptist, it's, it's you know, the, uh, the church has grown and pastor, you know, has been there a long time. He's done a good job. Our church would be nothing with people like Earl Binkley. Absolutely Nothing without that type of friendship to have guided me and us at times. We wouldn't be anywhere in the, in the idea of growth if it wasn't other staff members that were sometimes behind the scenes. But, you know, I get to be the face on Facebook or whatever. But those guys basically carried the workload. And that happens in so many of our lives that, hey, the reality is these friendships are really important. And Paul has him, he writes and he says, Philemon, he calls him beloved. What's that say to you? That he loved him, that he's close to him. And then he says, not only Philemon, you are a beloved friend of mine, but he says, dearly beloved, in verse 1. And he goes on, describes him as a fellow laborer. Then he talks about Archippus, who is a fellow soldier. Hey, by the way, just for your information, Aphia is a female's name. So many people assume that Aphia is Philemon's wife and Archippus is their son. That's just a little bit of extra that we don't know for sure, but it seems because it talks about meeting in your household, the three of them are listed. It's their house that the church is meeting in. And so Paul, he reveals this fact that he says, you friends are really important. And he says in verse 20, he says, let me refresh my bowels. Isn't it interesting that the apostle Paul, who is this great man, this hero of the faith, he needs encouragement. Refresh bowels is the idea of just building up, being encouraged, having somebody help you out help you stay strong and faithful and, and, you know, online at times. And so you have those ideas that where Paul is saying, hey, listen, I get worn down physically. And he's talked about that in, cor- in the book of Corinthians, how he was worn down at times by all the persecution, all the attacks, and not only all those difficulties, and think he's sitting in jail, he's under accusation at this time. And so that can wear down, and you know, he doesn't have the freedom. He's in jail. He's, he's not able to move. Some of you realize this. Some of you, all of a sudden, you can't do the things you used to do. Now, it's not because you're in jail, but it's because your age. Does that become a challenge? The answer is yes. And so he's saying, I need encouragement. I'm having that struggle, and that battle. And he says, not only is all that pressure, but it's also the care of the churches. And so he needs to, be, at times, to be encouraged. But we often look and say, hey, the Apostle Paul, these guys were supermen. They had no down moments. They were always going like this up a chart. That's just not true. Paul, at one time, had to have an angel of the Lord come to him. We'll see in the book of Acts when we get there. The angel says, stop being afraid. Stop being discouraged. And so he says, you guys, you helped me out. And you not only helped me out, but you also helped other people out. And so the reality is, Paul is saying, I need friends. And did they need Paul? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's writing to me. He's making it clear. He said, I led you to the Lord. I helped you grow. You know, I, I was an important part in your in your life, but you're an important part of our life. So the bottom line is, do spiritual people need friendships? Yes, absolutely. That Paul needed them. They needed Paul. The reality is when you talk about life, the people who are in these, you know, successes, you know, the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Batman has a Robin. Okay, you have the idea, you know, uh, Sherlock Holmes, he had, what's the guy's name? Watson, thank you. I mean, Lucy had Ethel. You know, you can just go on and on and on. You know, Laurel had, yeah, you know, Bullwinkle had, oh, Rocky had Bullwinkle. Okay, you can say it wherever you want. Some some of the younger crowd are going, who are they? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, So, you know, the idea is friendships are important. Number two, what I see illustrated that's important is this, is that we need to be biblical in our choice of friends. Now, this morning, I was talking about being biblical when it comes to dating and talking to the younger crowd. But when it talks in scriptures, it gives us wisdom about saying, okay, when you're choosing friends, be careful. Choose your friends carefully. He warns us. He tells us, "Do not make friends with a hot-tempered, and angry person, lest you all of a sudden become that hot-tempered person." A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates friends. Be careful of the gossipers. We, he walks. He says, or he tells us, "Be careful to walk with wise people, because if you get companion with a fool, you're going to suffer with them." He warns us. Says the wise person, the godly, good friend, he covers offenses. He doesn't, you know, relay all of your, your you know, faux pas and your failures to other people. And so we know we need to be wise. But how did Paul choose friends? What type of people did he choose? I find this interesting that Paul chooses people not based upon money, not based upon um, gain, what they can do for him. And, and by the way, in the Bible, do you read of any characters that Jesus said, hey, listen— When you're talking about getting around people, don't just get people into your home that can benefit you. Do you remember that? Yes, no? Jesus was talking to what group of people? The Pharisees, who would they entertain? Who would they associate with? The, The people who could profit them. And he says, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, why don't you go and get the people who can do nothing for you and befriend them because that could be a benefit. So Paul, he chooses friends by the names that he gives all the way through here. The names indicate that Paul was choosing people of different cultural backgrounds. He talks and he writes and he says, Okay, I'm a friendship with Philemon and Aphia, a man and a woman. I have Jews and I have Gentile friends. Timothy is with him, who is partial Jew and partial den- Gentile. He's talking to a rich man, Philemon, who is rich enough to have a slave, but he also befriended the slave. Paul is one of those that he's you know, a, a broad range of young men, older men. And so he's an individual that is uh, not just biased or prejudiced. He's got a wide range, which in the local church, that's very important because we're supposed to be loving and establish good relationships with everyone. Now, we'll have different levels, just like Jesus did with the 12. But we're not supposed to be biased. We're not supposed to be prejudiced. We're supposed to be loving one another. But his closest friends are those who are of like faith and practice who could help him, and he could help them. He talks in this passage, just like we said this morning, how can two walk together, but they be agreed. He talks about Timothy, my brother. He talks in this text about fellow laborer, fellow soldier. He's talking in this text about people who have the same mind, the same goals. And so Paul in his choice of friends is, I, is saying, I'm going to identify and I'm going to build the friend. I'm, if I'm going to want friends, I've got to be friendly. The ones I'm going to reach out for are people who have like faith and mind, goals, attitudes, and they're serving the Lord. Because that's going to be able to help me in my friendships. And so what you want to do, just like we said this morning about those who are dating, you and I, if we're looking for friends, one of the best ways to do it, and several of you have mentioned this, uh, about choir, you said, hey, I've got to know some people out of choir. We're serving together, and it's just been fun. And we've developed a relationship. Somebody said the same thing about Calvary clubs. or working in different ministries. Some of you have met people and gotten, because you're laboring together in the nursery. That is fellow soldiering in the nursery. And so you're laboring hard. So the, the obvious counsel you want to give somebody who is saying, I need friends, is show yourself friendly, get involved. Get involved in ministry to get to know the people who are of that same purpose. But he doesn't limit it to just the saved and the mature. He also is open to even lost people. He he meets Onesimus and he deals with him and grows with him so even though we want to make sure our uh, the, the bulk of our friendships are with people who are of like mind and faith that can help us keep on growing and give us those wounds of a faithful wounds of a friend you know iron sharpening iron what we want to do is have friendships with people that we can minister to that are needing the lord jesus christ and so he is going to reach out to them he's going to develop those friendships but Paul was careful that he influenced not being influenced. So we have that idea of one friendships are important. We have the idea that number two, the friendships you want to be careful in your choice. That takes us to number three, and this is where we want to spend the bulk of our time, the rest of it. Be willing to personally work at the friendship. And I want to point out several areas that Paul worked at. This is the practical part of being a friend, showing yourself, giving effort. How, what should you do to be a friend? Let me, let me be extremely practical here and point out what Paul did. He communicated with his friends. He purposely, he, I should probably stress, he initiated communication. He was the one that initiated. He communicates with Philemon. We know it's by a letter. And so he's initiating them, writing to them. And think about it. Paul is not in a convenient spot to do a lot of writing. He's in a prison. Paul could say, I've already written lots of letters to other people before. And there's other people I could be spending time focusing on. But he has a relationship with Philemon that he says, you're my dearly beloved. And he doesn't just presume upon it. He develops it. He fosters it. He's, while he's in jail, he writes. And he's doing this, even though they're a long distance apart. You and I have such a benefit of communication, do we not? Compared to people back in Bible days? I mean, back in Bible days, how long are we talking about letters being taken? Yeah, we're talking weeks and weeks. How about today? How quickly can we communicate to somebody you know, in Europe, let's say? We can do it instantly. And isn't it amazing that the more technology we get sometimes the worse we are at communication, that we don't really open up. We don't really foster the friendship, and we just do the little trite things that really, you know, that we're going to be talking about a little bit more. So, well, let me encourage you, reach out. You have some friends. Reach out to them, and don't say, I'll do it You know, later on, because it doesn't get done. So reach out, develop those friendships. Let me give you number two. When you're reaching out and developing those friendships, keep the right perspective about yourself and about that person. You know, friendships, they they, they can be strained at times. But sometimes we cause the strain. Sometimes it's how we treat the other people. Paul, it's very interesting. Paul makes it clear, we know he's an apostle. He also says that he is the mentor of Philemon. He calls himself the aged one, the one who would probably be the senior, be the, the, the teacher, the leader. And yet he mentions those things, and he even mentions the fact that I could say this, that you owe me big time, but I won't say it. You know, so by, by the Spirit of God, it's revealed, but he doesn't harbor upon it. You owe me because I led you to Jesus. But he doesn't use that as the leverage bar with Philemon. But he could. And so what he does, he insists really on these, this, I, he doesn't insist on those ideas that I'm over you, I can, you know, you should listen to me. Rather, he insists on using terms like, I'm a fellow soldier. I'm a fellow laborer. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm a prisoner. In other words, he's seeing his friends as peers, not as subordinates. I think that's really critical. That sometimes in our friendships, do we look at them as a project or somebody we just have to put up with? Do we look at them as somebody who, you know, they're a brother and sister in Christ? Could, could it happen... I don't, this is a bad illustration, but, but it fits. It um, fits. Uh, We grew up in a town, let me do it this way, we grew up in a town where the clergy in the church maintained an elevated status above everybody in the church. Okay, now I didn't grow up in a Bible church, it was was a church that was all about hierarchy. But those people who were clergy, you could not be close to them. I was told when I was in Bible college, what you want to do is you don't want to be friends with people in the church. Always maintain your status as the spiritual leader. I, that just grates me wrong. Okay? Do I have a position personally that is suppo- that, that's supposed to have some influence in teaching? The answer is yes. But does that eliminate me from having friends? Did, you know, I, I want uh, the pastors that I admired, I wanted them to be approachable caring, you know, and they were friends. Even years later when I was out from there, they were friends. And I guess it's a lousy illustration, you know, but it's the one, the one area of the world that I can think of people getting haughty and just demeaning towards friends. And I don't think that's what he's talking about at all here. Paul is saying, you're my peer. You're, you're not a subordinate. But he, at the same time, as much as he was important to them, he pointed them to Christ. I was your teacher, but you really need Jesus. He points that out where he says, I'm going to be praying, you need the Lord, you're a spiritual guide. And I want to just caution you, as more of you get involved with Bible studies and doing the mentoring of of younger people, uh, younger couples, younger Christians coming to our church, please be careful that as you mentor, you don't... What's the word I want to use? You don't own them. You don't own them. You know, other people can contribute to them. They they aren't your project. You're their friend, you're their mentor, you're helping them. But at the same time, you're not the only answer person in their life. Others can do it, but more importantly, they don't need you as much as they need the Lord. So point them to Christ. Give them counsel. But if they come for trouble, and you're going to get into some of this. Some of them are going to say, I'm really struggling with something. What do I do? Before you give answers all the time, ask them, encourage them to go to the Lord first of all. Does that make sense? Drive them, help them to develop the idea it's Christ they need to rely upon, not you. And so that idea that he's keeping the right perspective I think is critical. And I ask myself these questions. How do I treat friends? How do I treat you? In a sense, do... Do I look at people here and do I see them as mere peers or projects? Or do I see them as brothers and sisters in Christ that we can rub shoulders and, yes, I can teach, but you can teach me as well? The idea of the, you know, how we talk and, and how, we do, how we communicate in not belittling, not always having to be the one who, who absolutely has to have all the answers and has to monopolize everything. And so it's very important that what we want to do is encourage these people to go to the Lord and groom them, keeping the right perspective. I am a servant of Christ, just like you. And as such, whoever we're dealing with, whatever the relationship, let's make sure that we understand we are all, the, the, how's that say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so we, we develop friendships without a haughty spirit. Appreciate the person. Make sure you appreciate in your communication. Paul writes and he says, dearly beloved fellow laborer. He says, I thank God for you. He says, you have a wonderful testimony. Did you catch that in verse five and six? He says, we hear of your love. We are are thrilled by the fact that hearing of your love and your faith that you have towards all saints. He's commending him for his consistent testimony. He's talking about how he's refreshed other saints and he brings it up. He says, you have helped these other people. He says, you know what? I am so confident in you. I really believe you're going to listen to what I'm saying. And not only will you do what I'm saying, you're going to even do more. Because that's just the way you are. Isn't it interesting that a day of real men, Paul was, was open enough to express to another real man, I, you, know, you are a dearly beloved individual. There is nothing wrong with us saying to one another, I love you, brother. I love you in the Lord. You are are important to me. You are are very vital in helping me. And Paul could do that. Can you? In expressing, he says to Philemon, you are valuable to me. And, And this challenges me, where Paul knew what Philemon was doing in ministry, how Philemon was contributing to others. And he noticed it and he brings it up. You know, so, as a friend, commending your friends, bring up the different impact that they had, how they impacted you, what they did for you, how they impressed upon you, as you relate, as you share, as you talk, as you say thank you, you, know, now the song goes to my mind, thank you for being my friend uh, that you know but that's the concept of being able to appreciate the person. Let me give you something else that's practical, okay. That idea of letting your friends know. Let me give you another thought here. Pray for your friends. If you're going to be a real friend, pray for them. Paul, in this text, he says in verse 3, I am wanting for you to have grace and mercy. He already has grace and mercy. But I want you to have more abundant grace and mercy. He says that when I make mention of you in my prayers, I thank God. He talks about that idea. He says, I am praying, in verse 5, is it? Where he says the thought is a little bit cumbersome, but he's talking about, actually, verse 6, the communication of your faith, that is your evangelism. I am praying that your evangelism becomes even more effectual, is the concept. So he's being very specific as he's praying for him. And then he says, hey, by the way, Philemon, I want you to pray for me. I want you to... Oh, that cough drop went down wrong. Uh, pray, brethren. <coughs> he, he says, I want you to be praying for me as well. Okay? This, none of you may struggle with this, but there are times that people say, what can we pray for? For you. And I hesitate to want to say anything. Why is that? Is that biblically right? To keep my needs sheltered? And then sometimes I say I'm writing Tom Latham this week on several, several, just an ongoing thing. Once he was just communicating and wanted us to share things with you, and it was, and I made this this email statement. I wish there was more than we can do, but we'll pray for you. You know what I mean. But what does it sound like? Uh, prayer isn't effective. One of the best things we can do for one another is pray for him. Pray for your friends by name. Pray for your friends by needs. And then if your friend says, Is there something I can pray for? Tell them. Tell them. Tell them, you know what that'll do for you in that friendship? You you're gonna to bind together. You're gonna to bind together. If somebody, if, if you do this, and, so, and several of you have done this, so it is just I'm speaking from your wonderful conduct. Somebody comes up and says, Hey, Wayne, is there something we can pray for? Yeah, pray for something going on this week. And then when they come back and they say, Hey, how did that go? I was praying for it. How do, when somebody does that for you, how does your heart feel towards that person? Do, what? They cared. They cared enough to remember my prayer request. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe, maybe you never forget somebody's prayer request that they give you. But sometimes I forget it. And that person remembered. And they cared enough to come back and say, how did it go? Wow. Wow. And so Paul is praying for him. He's sharing his request. So let's make this. Paul was concerned enough to, to do the best he could for his friend. This is what we talked about this morning, that you as a helpmeet in, in, in the relationship of marriage, that helpmeet is the idea of helping them to become all they can do. How can you help a friend? You can be praying for them, personally praying for them. Why don't you do it this week? The friends that, you are, that are your closest, if you haven't, part of your prayer time, pray for them. And let them know that you're praying for them. And if they ask, can I pray for you? Share those needs. Can I give you another positive thing? Think positive about your friends. Continue to think positive about your friends. He says, I thank my God while making mention of you in prayers. That I continuously think positive about you. I don't just think, okay, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. And and boy, so-and-so has some real growth to do. He's thinking positive. Positive. Now, again, we want to help, but he's thinking, I have great joy and comfort. He's thinking, he says, I have confidence in you. He's saying, I know that you will do more than I say. How do you think about your friends? Are you critical of even your friends? Or are you positive, supporting them? Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And so what we want to do is we don't want to get into a critical spirit, even when it's suggested by the third part, the friend, the fourth friend. They may want to tear them down. No, I want to remain positive about my friends and about you folk, to remain positive in the confidence. And so a lot of you are doing that. Does your friend know that you have confidence in him? Does your friend know that you really value them? So let it be communicated. Do the right thing. Always do the right thing. This is an interesting point. Onesimus is, and Paul are in a situation that should Onesimus go back to his master? Now, he's, the, the, the story has a couple complications that we don't know total all the details. Could Onesimus get in trouble if he goes back to Philemon? Yeah, because of what? He was a slave who did what? He ran away. But there's also something else that's possible here. Okay, Um, yeah, I'm not there yet, but let me jump ahead. He may have taken something. He may have stolen as well. We don't know if it's, when Paul says, "If, if there's anything to be owed, I don't know if that's something stolen when he left or because he was gone, you lost some income. Maybe he was a slave that was a worker. And so, you know, Onesimus going back, Onesimus has committed in Roman society, in the Roman Empire, what could be the punishment for a runaway slave? Death. It could be, not death, but it could be you know, some type of physical or, or you know, imprisonment. So to send him back, think this through. He could've, Paul could have said, I'm not going to send him back because everything is under the blood. So it's under the blood. We don't have to deal with it anymore. So he could have he rationalized, I don't need to send him back because it's under the blood of Christ. He could have rationalized, hey, listen, if I send him back, he's giving up his newfound freedom. And we know that Onesimus wanted freedom. How do we know that? He ran away. <laughs> okay, so he ran away. And so for Onesimus, this, is, this was something big in his life. He was willing to do this run away, put his life on the line to have freedom. And Paul's going to say, give up your freedom, go back. But it's under the blood. You know, it's, a, if, it, it's going to be a long trip back. From Colossae to Rome, I've given you just some of the details. If they walked 20 miles a day, it's going to take two and a half months. Plus, it's dangerous. It's a difficult journey. It's, it, there's a lot of complications. For him to go back... Here's the biggest detail. He doesn't know what Philemon will do. He doesn't know how Philemon will respond. So why does Paul say, Onesimus, go back to your master? It's the, right it's the right thing to do. It's the appropriate thing to do. Even though you may be forgiven, might you have to make restitution? Absolutely. And so Onesimus, you need to go back. Now, from Paul's perspective, Onesimus must go back now. Let's not delay. He's got him where he's strong enough in the Lord. He's saved. He's listening. So he's discipled him enough, but he says, now you got to go back. Now you got to go back. So he sends him back. Bottom line is this good friends always encourage their friends to do what's right. Always. If you have a friend who is encouraging you to do something illegal, they're not a good friend. If they're encouraging you to lie on on an insurance report to get more money or to lie on your taxes, they're encouraging you to take from the employer because you deserve it. They're not a good friend for you. Good friends will always encourage their friends to do what's right and challenge them if they aren't doing what's right. Real friends are like this. They will discourage... A good friend will discourage one of their friends from gossiping about other people. That's really a good friend who says you shouldn't say that. You may not like it. I may not like it when they... When they st- but they're, that's good for us. A good friend is somebody who will encourage their friend to love their wife or to submit to their husband. It's not popular. It's not the thing of this day. But it's God's will. And a good friend... For a wife, isn't going to be one who's going to listen to her really, you know, rag on her husband and have a bad attitude. She's going to be helpful by pointing out she may have to make some changes. And likewise for the husband. The real friend is going to lovingly correct them when they talk the wrong way about their spouse. A real friend is going to be one who will say, hey, listen, you know, you come along and you're busy, your lives are busy. And a real, you say to a friend, boy, life's gotten so busy, I just don't have time for devotions. Yeah, I understand that, so let's not, you know, we'll, we'll just commiserate together that we don't have time to pray. No, a real friend will say, you know what, if we don't have time for the Lord, something's wrong. Something's wrong. A real friend that's really good for you is somebody that will say to you, hey, listen, you know the jokes that you're telling? They may be funny and everybody laughs, but they're ruining your testimony. A real friend will be the one who will say, Hey, listen, you have a bad attitude towards the government. You have a bad attitude towards your boss. And I understand, I, I, you know, I struggle with the same things, but we've got to correct each other on this. A real friend is going to be one who is going to say to them, Hey, listen, I, I've seen you interact with your kids. And, uh, you, you know, and this one's tough but it's you're not supposed to be provoking your kids to anger. You're not supposed to be reacting and calling them names and responding that way it's not healthy for you it's not healthy for the kids. That's a real friend. The real friend is that type of person who is going to hold you to doing what's right. So we want those friends in our lives because we all struggle and we need those type of friends that will do it. You need to be the type of friend that will do that. Some of you have done the wonderful job. And I, I mean this not in a funny way. I mean this sincerely. There's sometimes I can get very caustic and um, sarcastic about leaders in the country. And some of you have come and expressed, you know, Wayne, is that really the appropriate, you know, your sarcasm? Is that really what you want to be relaying to the young people? And you're absolutely right, I need to be careful in a public platform of being critical in, a, in that type of way about certain characters, certain persons in the leadership. And so I appreciate that, that when some would say, hey, do you want to reconsider this? Yeah, and that's helpful. Um, real friends will always treat their friends properly. What I mean by this is you're always being ethical with your friends. You're not taking advantage of, hey, they're my friend. And I can just, you know, rip them off. They're my friend. No, no. Paul is saying in this text, he says, I need to send Onesimus back to his master. He's talked about that. But did you catch what he said? He says in the middle of this text, he said, I need to send him back. Down in verse 10. I beseech you for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten, I've led him to the Lord while I'm in jail. Which in time past, he has been unprofitable to you. But now, he is going to be profitable to you, Philemon. He is profitable to me. Whom I will send again, you therefore receive him. That is, as if you're receiving me. Whom I would have retained with me, so that in your place, he might minister the way you would have ministered to me. He would be your representative. He would be doing it. But without your mind, would I do nothing. In other words, I'm not going to keep your slave here. Even though you might think this way, I can't do it until you say it's okay. And so Paul is living really above the board in his business dealings with his friends that he is saying, I would like to keep him here, but without your permission, it's wrong for me to do this. And so dear friend, I want to be ethical with you, even though it's going to cost me. I'm going to lose a friend. I'm going to lose somebody that's really helpful. But it's the right thing to do. Good friends are ethical. They are honest and upright in their dealings with their friends. They don't take advantage of their friends in business or whatever matter. They don't presume upon them. Let me give you something else. You will personally sacrifice for your friend. You will make some personal sacrifice where he does. He says, Onesimus owes you Philemon. Is it because he stole something? Is it because of loss? I don't know. I don't know why that is. But Paul says, if he owes you anything, put it to my account. So what Paul is doing here is he's helping to cover a cost for another friend. He's trying to help restore these two. And he's trying to make sure that things are mediated. And so good friends, they do vouch for friends who merit it. They vouch for them. Good friends are the type of people who willingly put themselves on the line to help their friend. Good friends are those who will personally sacrifice. It may mean time or money to help them when there's a genuine need. That's sacrifice. That's friendship. Friendship, as we would wind down, is this idea. You letting your friends help you. Paul did that. Paul was the one that he says, okay, Philemon, you have refreshed me. Paul is the type of guy, he says, even though I'm the aged, even though I'm the mentor, I'm going to let you minister to my heart. And so Paul is saying, refresh me. Paul is saying to him, pray for me that I may be able to come to you. Paul is saying, prepare for me a lodging. Paul is not so spiritual that he doesn't think anybody can help him. He recognizes I need them and I'm going to allow them to help me. I'm going to allow them to give me assistance. You know how sometimes we can do it. We can do it. Can I give you a hand? No, I got it covered. And I understand that there's a, there's a balance here. But there are times we need help. And it isn't wrong to admit to your friends, I need your help. I need your assistance. And being willing to let them do that, being willing to share your needs... Being willing to be open to their counsel because they're trying to help you. Good friends will most of all help that friend, your friends, to grow in the Lord. Think about who your friends are. They may be at work, at school. They may be individuals that are your good friends because you're neighbors. They may be somebody who lives next to you or close by or you had some type of relationship in the past and they're your buddies. And you get together. The most important thing in this friendship is to help them to grow in the Lord. Even though you share other things, you want to help them. And so he says, Phanem, what I want for you is grace and peace. I want you to experience it even more in your life. What I want for you is I want you to grow in the Lord so much, I'm going to pray for you, as we already mentioned. I want you to do something. Now, this is the one we have mentioned. I want you to stretch yourself spiritually. Phanem, I want to do something that you don't have to do. Legally, You you could take it out on Onesimus. Legally, you could do whatever. But I'm going to ask you to do something mighty, mighty spiritual. Forgive somebody who offended you deeply. Would you stretch yourself spiritually that way? And Paul is asking. Paul is praying for that. And he's saying, I'm pretty confident you're going to do this and do even more. But that's a friend who helps to stretch us spiritually. Who helps pushing us. That's the type of friend you want to be to some new convert, young Christian. You want to say, hey, come with me and let's stretch you a little bit. Come and teach with me. And then as you're teaching, you say, you take this week's lesson. And they go, I can't do it. And you say, yes, you can. And you're helping to stretch them, to grow a little bit more. And so here we have this whole idea that says, okay, seek to help your friends to grow spiritually. Be supportive of them when they seek to minister to others, pray for them specifically, encourage them to stretch themselves. You've got to ask yourself these, two, these questions as we wrap up. Here's the questions to ask yourself. Are my friends better off spiritually because of me? Have I helped them to grow or have I hindered them in their growth? That's, that's challenging thoughts what have you done with your friends to help them to grow spiritually? You've been a blessing or you've been a stumbling block? So we look at it and say, okay, God, conclusion is friends are a blessing. So I'm going to thank God for them and as well, I'm going to seek most importantly to be one like this to those around me. Father, help us to not just hear this truth, but to apply it. There's a lot of things here, Lord. There's lots of different practical application. Help these folk here to just take one of these thoughts and work on it this week, which is one of the areas of being a friend and to implement it to just foster even a better friendship, a better spiritual friendship and help us to live the word in a way that would magnify you and reach into the hearts and lives of other people. Thank you for the attentiveness of these good folk. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for their sweet spirit, their friendship, some for decades, some for their entire lives. Thank you that Deb and I have been so honored to have friends in this church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.